0: Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Hello you! Come here often? I sure hope so for my download stats. Like I said last week, I am not making this week a Halloween-centric episode. That being said, I will get you one Halloween hit talking about Hubie Halloween. But we'll get to that later. So Nick, what are you going to talk about this week if it's not just a deep dive into Hocus Pocus? Well folks, you know I love superhero things. And having some bigger news pop up in the last few weeks about the Arrowverse, with some series ending dates, some casting news, and of course having Swamp Thing making its television debut on the CW network this past Tuesday, it was time to talk about some network superhero shows. Has this universe failed this city, or is this the hero that we need and deserve? Let's team up and find out together! Ooh, The start of the shared universe Arrow, named the Arrowverse, was the closest thing, and it may still be, we're ever going to get to a live-action TV Batman. The Nolan trilogy film Dark Knight Rises still had not come out yet when this show first aired in the fall of 2012. I don't really know how I found out about it, uh, I was still getting interested in the genre outside of the animated Batman shows of my childhood and the Dark Knight films. One day I gave it a go on Netflix and I was hooked. I binged through the first two seasons and was all ready to go for season three. By that point I was getting the tone, the storyline, and very strong fight choreography. Also some amazing music, which is a big thing for me. I'm a big soundtrack person, and at this point they're already teasing the second show to make this into a shared Arrowverse instead of just a one-off isolated superhero show. So especially early on, I loved the darker look and tone of this show. Rewatching the other CW superhero shows of old like Smallville, Birds of Prey, they were always a bit bigger and more fantastical. And at least the, the color palettes were always very bright arrow was doing what it could to match the tones of the nolan films but make it a little more accessible on tv and not be too dark to alienate viewers watching on the cw who were used to you know their dramas of the teenage years and oh who a boy am i going to take to the prom oh gosh darn all that fun stuff but there was a period of time, especially with superhero movies, where everyone was trying to be dark and edgy, and it ended up being very lame. So it was a, a tough place to bounce, right? But this is not that. The show takes a rich kid stuck on an island for five years and he comes back changed. The storytelling aspect is kind of cool with how it slowly gets flashbacks from the first five seasons, and cause five seasons five years. I'm sure that was very intentional. And eventually they get you all caught up on how he got to be where he was being Being This vigilante who used to just be a, a fun loving kid who was all about partying and having a good time. And Stephen Amell is great in the role as being that sometimes even he now he has to act as the playboy to not seem suspicious and sometimes be the tortured vigilante at different times and seeing him evolve from the loner who uses any means to get justice to eventually transforming into more of a hero still a dark hero, but nonetheless a hero. And while elements of the show are not always groundbreaking, you know, you got the the geeky tech genius girl who is reminiscent of Oracle and Batman, a leader of the local police force that has an on-off relationship with our vigilante. Instead of a butler, they went with a bodyguard that is younger but also has that military experience. I mean, the thing that I liked about it, especially from the start, was it was a very grounded story, and all things, especially early, just felt like they could happen in the, quote, real world. (laughs) uh and i do think that the show was at its best being very grounded story for the most part as much as can be the bad guy in season one had some fun family drama dynamics a conspiracy with his best friend and his friend's father the villain was like a similar to him kind of darker version which was a standard trope always will be for the genre but the archer battles were very fun to watch very cinematically exciting and the fight choreography is one thing that the Arrowverse is always going to be known for and the ones where it's less CGI such as Arrow the fight choreography really gets that moment in the sun to shine and be the the staple of the show and the early seasons really played on him being who he was as Oliver versus the Arrow which is fun and like is that stuff very Batman-y of course we all know that kind of thing but it's done well here. Season two had one of the best death strokes we will ever see in live action. Manu Bennett from Spartacus was the perfect choice. And while I would love to see the Joe Manganiello live action movie that was teased in justice league on the boat. And his, even though we barely see him, his character looks so cool. It, I would be so excited to see that it feels like that movie is in development limbo. And this is probably the best we're going to get to see for some time. Now, I'm saying this without having watched Titans yet, but I really, really like the Manu Bene version. Eventually, I will watch Titans, and if I have to change my case, I will. But for now, I'm going to stick to my, I feel pretty confident opinion. The villains from there went a bit mystical to similar dark versions of Arrow that had a beef with him for one reason or another neil mcdonough was amazing in this and has been in a few cw shows having bounced around a lot with particularly legends of tomorrow and let's not forget they almost had liam neeson reprise his role as raish al ghul who would have ever even imagined qui-gon jinn the guy from taken was almost on the cw I mean, it was still good what they did, but that would have been over-the-top perfection. This is a great show and series. So if there's only one you're going to dive into, it should be this one. Heck, I got my mom into it. And unlike me, She's not twenty four seven superhero media. It has to be at least somewhat engaging. And if you're looking for a couple show to get into, there's a bit of romance with your action. Some people like to sprinkle that in with a little bit. And I, I like that too, right? You gotta have a little love with your fight choreography and all that fun stuff. I'm doing some karate air I'm doing some karate air chops as I say these words with fight choreography. And I will say that does eventually become a little more focused on other shows in the Arrowverse. The romance sometimes, honestly, takes center stage over some of the action and fight choreography as a whole progression there. Now, some warnings, sometimes for me, the love stuff does get in the way a little bit. Sometimes it feels like there are too many dark arrows and they all feel a little bit similar. I mean, back to the romance point. Especially this show, there's a point when the romance feels like it takes a way too of a center stage, especially for this show. But, as a completionist of storylines and having them wrap up, I was also not a huge fan of some of the bigger properties and characters being unceremoniously killed off and written out to match with the stances and give the DCEU film storylines almost exclusive rights to certain characters and properties. Nowadays, this would not be an issue, with the entire company's storyline plan going going with the multiverse where everything from 60s Batman to 2019 Swamp Thing is all connected in some crazy way but having Deathstroke who was a huge part of the show early on and Deadshot were both great recurring characters until one of them was killed off and one was barely featured after the first few seasons they also had to go and kill off their entire version of the Suicide Squad and Amanda Waller which were great aspects and they had to go the well it's a different company but the same storyline kind of thing which was way way worse and they had to do that because Suicide Squad films are coming out that was the mo seemingly and lastly while this was made as an isolated show at first the one thing for the arrowverse that's not an issue for me but it could be for someone who wants to just dip their toe in and have one superhero show and not have to worry about everything else the more casual viewers there comes a point where you need to watch at least two shows if not four to five shows to get caught up on the full story with the crossover episodes sometimes spanning a couple shows sometimes you have to watch five episodes and five different shows Imagine them up like that when you're not watching it live, that's tough. It is what it is, but it's tough. I like it. But it throws you for a loop and it makes binging straight through watching these shows a chronological impossibility. Unless you do it like they did the shows live. Also, last point. The last season was a little bit weird. Focusing on fixing the multiverse and also having a lot of flash forward things as a soft reboot slash sequel to a new series. that not even really been discussed yet and there's no news on it yet it's a tough way to end it but overall it was a good enjoyable ride it may not be a true batman specific show such as gotham but it has a tone of a real gritty superhero show for a time which was really nice and they do take a lot of those batman villains and put them into the show which adds to that comparison a little bit also last last point paul blackthorne john barrowman were both amazing casting points big fan of them both so the flash probably sounds like the biggest property especially at the time to be allowed as a standalone cw show the arrow characters who are named excluding deathstroke and Shao ghoul were mostly unknown to the average viewer who was not too deep into diving into the dc comics world but everyone knows who the flash is and having him appear in that episode of arrow and hearing that new musical theme I was optimistic the show focuses way more on animation special effects which at times it looks nice but this is where the arrowverse sometimes can be at its weakest the special effects are a little fakey and weird for the uninitiated king shark the speedster fights they're all just a hair wonky and now look you can't expect movie budgets for these but they do the best they can and you do get used to it eventually. But this is why Arrow is a bit stronger at times, because it's less reliant on these aspects. Having been the second show to be a part of this, it's great how the composer Blake Neely could make these fun, unique themes that really fit each show. Arrow feels modern, dark, brooding. The Flash feels hopeful and brassy. Legends of Tomorrow feels like a fun swashbuckling adventure with occasional time period accent notes but to the flash they've always crushed the casting in these shows with their lead so grant gustin other castings were quite good too with tom cavanaugh being amazing in the first season jesse l martin has amazing chemistry with grant in the first scene as well as his surrogate father also having draco malfoy as tom felton as well as the prison break reunion that i always wanted but never expected with wentworth miller and dominic piercell as two criminals i mean phenomenal so i have a love-hate relationship with the show though i know that era was not always consistent but i was always very excited to watch it right up until that final season Not always including it. Let's look at the pros first. The casting is great for a ton of supporting and recurring characters. And a fair amount of these characters make that jump to the spin-off time travel show that I cannot wait to talk about. With ledges of Tomorrow. In the beginning, the show was great in tandem with Arrow. One show was more hopeful, lighter, but there was still conflict and drama, especially with the relationship of Barry and his dad who was wrongly put in jail. And then seeing that in contrast to Arrow as a darker style of justice and tone overall, there were some jokes in both, but nothing was too overbearing. And this show analyzed the paternal relationships overall, but especially Barry having his real dad, his adopted dad, and his surrogate father, who spoiler alert turns out to not be who he says he is but this show is six years old so spoiler warning feels a little superfluous the crime scene stuff was also pretty cool it was a fun duality of being a little bit of a detective story but also being able to do it in the light unlike on arrow or with what batman does so now the not so strong after the initial conflict the show takes a weird turn some of the conflicts become a bit more run-of-the-mill relationship drama dating or deep-seated relationship conflicts it just feels a bit shoehorned to make it a more young adult friendly show sometimes the plot in my mind it suffers for it Well, not my favorite if the show overall was better this would have not been the end of the world it also does not help that the first three seasons are back to back to back speedster villains and while eventually they went away from those villains the different ones never really made a memorable or exciting or even as menacing as reverse flash it felt like you were just waiting for him to show up again and have that amazing villain and he did show up a lot which is great it just the show made it so he was not the main big bad all the time captain colden Heatwave both amazing but while both especially Captain Cold were memorable and played a part in the overall shaping of the story and the main character in Barry Allen neither was ever the main focus of a season neither was either the big bad or even together as part of a big bad cabal of sorts so they never really got that staying power that they probably in my mind both deserved. I think the CGI over alliance we already talked about it I will say I love the show no matter what because of Grant Gustin. And the supporting cast is fine, but they're always just a little too goofy. Arrow had that same issue at a time as well once they really tried to expand the supporting cast. I know this sounds like a big hit on the show, but I watch it. I want to get the whole Arrowverse story. And because I really want to see how this Flash's story will end, how it will conclude, and with Arrow concluded and Supergirl is going to finish up soon. This will be the banner of the Arrowverse for now. And that has to have some respect, especially being as long as it has been. Also, even though the Speedster villains are in bulkier, the Zoom reveal was pretty good. Just throwing that out there. I just rewatched it right before recording this, and it's pretty good. So this was a bit of an interesting one since Supergirl came out in 2015 first airing on CBS but eventually making that move to the CW for season 2 and it did in time become integrated into the Arrowverse. First, they had to have the ability to jump characters between universes, and now with Crisis on Infinite Earths making it a part of what is called Earth Prime, it's all sort of connected now. But I have an interesting relationship with the show. I really loved some of the earlier notions of the CBS show that got abandoned when they made the move. But I also think there's some things that were improved upon when they made that jump to the CW. I will say, the one thing is the music is less exciting for this show as well. I don't get a unique tone necessarily, as well as with the other three I discussed already. It's similar to The Flash, but less hopeful and a little more generic. So the great things in season one that we sadly lost after they made that jump was Cat Grant and Maxwell Lord. Maxwell Lord will seemingly be the big bad in Wonder Woman 1984, played by GOT alum Pedro Pascal, but before that he was played by Peter Facinelli. He was super charismatic in the role, he had bad intentions, but as only this show, and maybe The Flash can do, he was eventually redeemed. It was nice having a villain that was able to be a human and physically weaker in seemingly in most aspects, but his intellectual ability to play the system and use his money to get his way. The chemistry he had with the rest of the cast was something truly special, and it served as a show's Lex Luthor. And it was fine that we didn't know who this character was, as most average superhero viewers would say. Then Cat Grant, played by Calista Flockhart, the founder of Catco Worldwide Media, the daily planet in this version of the world. And... She plays the role spectacularly. Gone are the days of J. Jonah Jameson yelling about, getting me a picture of the Spider-Mans. Instead, it's a serious, professional businesswoman. She can be bossy and all that to Kara. And when she's working there, it seems like she's just your run-of-the-mill tough boss. But there's a real heart under her all that and she almost serves as a paternal role at times she does show up a few times after season one but it's just not the same so when the show made the move to the cw they expanded the group of supporting cast members some have come and gone since jeremy jordan from many broadway shows was a highlight who left after a few seasons Katie McGrath was a nice touch added on later for Lena Luther. Initially, it felt like this was going to be the replacement for Maxwell Lord. And this was the now Lex Luthor that we were going to focus on. And it had that female, female hero villain battling out. But that same thing of not having those superpowers and being intellect versus superhuman abilities. But when they added John Cryer as Lex Luthor and getting the whole family involved, it was a delight. Also, the David Harwood reveal in season one of being Martian Manhunter was a pretty exciting reveal that I can't imagine a lot of people saw coming. The writing of Supergirl, her specifically, has grown tremendously since season one. From season two on, it felt like they just didn't know how to write her. And it felt like with season two, they grew to write her marvelously. And it felt like I felt the same appreciation for her as the lead, as I did with Grant Gustin and having that voice that felt right for Supergirl. One of the better things that they had done since the CW move. Sadly, relying on James Olsen is a bit annoying and making him a hero and having too many hero friends. It's just a bit blah. The villains minus Maxwell and Lex are just a bit pedestrian and just feel like random alien villains who we don't really know. I will say the duality of the Sons of Liberty, Agent Liberty, and the current political climate was one of the best things for me. Having a villain who is less another superpowered alien and instead feeding on public perception and fear-mongering. It's a real battle and challenge for Supergirl, and it makes her have to fight to be the symbol of hope. Also, Manchester Black's in this show, and even though he seems like a good guy at first, I do think he's quite good, and he also makes his real run to power in this season as well. I cannot believe how I got back into the show in season four and I was like I said with Arrow just every week I wanted to know what was going to happen next and how they were going to fix this and this season had the Lex Luthor reveal and his portrayal were both just high points of this stellar season it's not my favorite show and it's a bit up and down but hopefully with season six being the end, they're going to find a way to tie the story up nice, put a bow on it, feature a ton of John Cryer, who may be one of the best portrayals of the character of all time. And Melissa Benoit, who has been a great actor in the lead role, did say she will reportedly appear in this role after the show ends on other parts of the Arrowverse. I was curious if this ending was a bit reactionary to the batwoman recasting and the built-up character bond between those two it felt like that could be the new power of popularity in the arrowverse but only time will tell with what new crossovers arise so speaking of crossovers Probably the show that I am most excited to talk about because it's pretty much just a big old crossover for the whole premise of the show. Don't get me wrong, I love Arrow. But there is something special about Legends of Tomorrow. This show took a bunch of ancillary characters from Arrow and The Flash, put them together in a time traveling adventure. The new character Rip Hunter, played brilliantly by Arthur Duvall, had some Torchwood Doctor Who vibes, and it was fun watching the crew of characters with different personalities and levels of morality traipse about different time periods trying to fix things. Sometimes they play with historical events, fictions come true, or history in the Arrowverse itself, which is where it's at its best for me sometimes. Season 1 had Victor Garber, Katie Lotz, Wentworth Miller, and Dominic Purcell. Brandon Roth, and so many more. It was some of the best characters, and seeing how that season wrapped up was still amazing. Through the show, characters have come and gone. Nick Zano as a historian and hero, Nate Haywood, finding a way to bring Constantine back in the Arrowverse after his brief appearance in Arrow. Matt Ryan's John Constantine portrayal is super good, super strong, and even though his main show will never be brought back, well, most likely never. It's nice seeing his story exist and have legs, especially having Astra, the girl he's been trying to save as his main call to action, be a part of this show. The episodes really focus on a bunch of different characters, and it mixes up the groups as needed to see how different characters play on each other and trying to solve a problem. And they really do flush out these characters overall. Not just one person feels like the one that they're focusing on. It always changes who they're focusing now, the big bads for this show are not always the best. Vandal Savage was not the best villain portrayal, but the season was a ton of fun and still had that balance of dark and adventure. Honestly, it might have had more of the dark balance, which was quite nice. Season two has to be the best, bringing together an amazing group of villains of the past in Reverse Flash, Malcolm Merlin, and Damien Dark, as well as eventually Captain Cold. Not having CGI baddies is the show at its best and we do get a few instances of Neil McDonough's portrayal of Damian Dark here, which is nice. The villains in three to five, they're okay. Sometimes the individual episode villains, though, sometimes recurring, are just as exciting to carry the load that the big bad may not always be having, being not necessarily amazing. The show really is at its peak when it's just time-traveling fun. Even though some characters die, some leave the group, they're always just filling their ranks with new exciting characters. And season two, having the Just Society of America as a historical note to the DC lore, mwah, beautiful touch. Having the Having the leadership pass on to Katie Lotz as Sarah Lance was a great choice and having Heatwave still be a part of it even after Captain Cole's demise keeps the Prison Break fan in me very happy. And they've done some really fun things with his character and his growth. I'd say his character feels like it's grown the most. Now some of the bad things this show has two characters i cannot stand gary green and mona Wu are two characters that feel super out of place and just a little too much comedic relief and it's just taken over sometimes and look the marvel universe has a ton of joke stuff but it fits fine and even this show and other arrow have the joke balance figured out but when they threw these two characters into the main group it lost it for me a little bit this show has a ton of jokes But the tone in season one and two had that balance. Now it feels like the jokes and weirdness are the focal point and they're at the forefront of the show as opposed to the adventure. And trust me, I like weird. But weird and goofy combined should not be 90% of your tone. There have been some good things though during this later time. Don't get me wrong. I love the magical aspects they found to bring back Matt Ryan and make him a staple of the show. I just want a little darkness and emotion thrown into the show from time to time. And since it's a show with a lot of characters are leaving from the original group, it makes me nervous if we'll eventually run out of the core fun group that works so well together. Even Nate Haywood who was an amazing choice from season 2 to have a historian who wants to take a part in history, I will miss the relationships he built with the main group who are all leaving. But easily, this is the most fun and watchable show on the list for me. So one of the later shows that was isolated from the rest of the Arrowverse until Crisis on Infinite Earths, Black Lightning is one of the most fun and unique shows that I think I feel some similarities to Stargirl, which we'll discuss later. One of the staples of this series is how important family is, and we get hints of that throughout the other four shows listed above, but none is as central to the plot as black lightning it is also one of the shows that has an older hero and having a family of soups blame me for watching the boys for that lingo having our first black lead and cress williams does an amazing job in the role i would say no show has done a better job of casting everyone in this show major and minor characters alike and i love seeing james raymar from dexter and django unchained seeing a principal of a charter school who is trying to help the kids in the community until he's drawn out of retirement to fight the gang life that's growing in his city and his old nemesis like arrow before it the show does not rely too heavily on cgi and it's better for it but all the lightning effects look pretty good the show but The whole show, not just the season in particular, tackles social justice, which is nice to see these deeper themes affiliated with superhero shows to make them more represented, maybe a little easier to consume, and hopefully drawing attention to them in these different mediums can help a different age group see these things and help them stop them or change them. And just a little acting thing again i love damon gupton as bill henderson this world's jim gordon he plays the role so well and is a familiar but not too similar way i can't overstate how amazing seeing Cress williams as black lightning is so i think i know it's only season three so far but the villains in this show are most exciting and consistently good Tobias Whale and Lala are recurring through all three seasons and seeing them constantly at the center of the conflict and growing and evolving is something I like to see. So many superhero shows and movies kill off their villains and then we have a bunch of one-dimensional baddies that are mirrors of their heroic counterparts. While season two and three especially three go into this war with a country and who can control metahumans and there's a military lockdown I feel like it loses its way a little bit. The main cast does save the show and I love that ASA government corruption conspiracy stories, but it gets a bit muddled and unbelievable when it becomes a military occupation. This season did introduce Wayne Brady as Gravedigger, who is a great addition in his own right. He's a pretty strong actor in dramatic roles, and I also thought he was quite good in Season 3 of Colony. Most of the main villains are still kicking and can have their presence felt in this world, unlike a lot of the other shows. I am most excited for Season 4, based solely on the Occupation storyline being over. I'm also really curious to see how this show will move forward as part of the extended Arrowverse, and now that it's combined in the same Earth Prime world after Crisis. So the most recent of the official Arrowverse superhero shows, first introduced in the Elseworlds crossover, Batwoman portrayed by Ruby Rose looked the part and acted the part. I loved the balance she had as both the hero and the playgirl. It definitely had some Batman looks and feels. It looked darker, some parts were darker, but this show is kind of a mixed bag for a lot of it. A fair amount of it is not through any fault of its own though, but instead just how long it took to come out. When this show aired we had even more batman with ben affleck gotham concluded and even titans had a portrayal of bruce wayne and this universe already had a version of this character in all but name and outfit in arrow we've already seen a more brooding character with some geeky sidekicks now what do we like well ruby rose was very good in the role Yes, I said was in the past tense. I really like Gabriel Mann as Hush. Sometimes in the later part of the season it got a bit goofy, but the reveal of who he became is not a surprise to comic fans, but it's a great surprise for average viewers. Having the family villain here from the start and her crew is exciting good, especially the first episode of the season. I really got the Batman feel from that first crime heist at the fancy gala. The action is good and the darkness and sadness that hit our characters is a nice change of pace as some of the other shows have really Pump the brakes a bit on these tones. The only thing I have is sometimes the other villains are a bit whatever, and sometimes Batwoman and Alice have each other, and nothing really happens. It feels like one has the edge, and the status quo is normally pretty quickly balanced. I will say I'm excited for the changes that I don't want to spoil, since it's all pretty recent. But Alice makes a huge change that should have lasting ramifications on her character, and the big reveal of Tommy Elliot, who he is now, should have a lasting. Presence Presence on the show now the new things ruby rose stepped down from the lead role and with that cliffhanger ending seeing how they're gonna write her out will be something especially with the show starting by not having a batman as a part of it now they're going to be on their third Bat character, this time portrayed by Javicia Leslie. And the Wayne's ties are kind of gone now. And what can you do with Alice in season two without her sister in the focal point of the role? I mean, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Victor's Az being brought in. And it's exciting to have another name brand Batman universe character. Look, it's not Arrow, Cinema Batman, or Gotham. It's its own thing. And while that isn't a bad thing, and the show has moments, it's just a bit average sometimes and the future is a bit in jeopardy with the new lead this early, but I'll be positive, optimistic, healthy Nick about what the future holds for the show. So next I want to talk about Stargirl, and I know what you're thinking. Oh well, Nick, uh, technically the show is not a part of the Arrowverse, and it's actually taking place on Earth 2 and not Earth Prime. And to this I say, of course, I know that. Duh. I'm a superhero nerd as well. But here's why I'm talking about it. First of all, it's my podcast, so I can talk about whatever I want. Second, unlike Swamp Thing, this show first aired on both DC Universe and the CW simultaneously. Swamp Thing is clearly a DC Universe show that's airing much later on this network based on availability of content with COVID now could swamp thing become a cw show sure is dc universe going away as it stands with any media in january of 21 yes it is but let's get back to what i'm talking about arrowverse show Not yet. But superhero show on the CW. So I'm going to talk about it. With Batwoman being the latest show, I was not sure what to expect with Stargirl. Especially since the group was somewhat explored in season 2 of Legends of Tomorrow. They were not explored deeply, but they were there and they had actors in the role and all of that. But I was obviously very excited for Luke Wilson. And thankfully the trend of casting lead actors in title roles still is true here as breck bassinger feels perfectly at home as the likable all-american girl trying to be the friendly girl who is also trying to find out just who she really is it's a high school story that's all it's always going to be about to some degree the setting is a modern day world but in a old-timey small town there are some friday night lights notes here but there's a clear superhero story at play So this is a big one for the family story, with a stepfather and daughter being bonded by a superhero story of old. Also, I love how wild the beginning is. It's with all of the old JSA members and their fall, and it's super action-packed. It's very CG-heavy, but there's so much going on, I was in sensory overload in all the right ways. The show has some great villains. Personally, seeing a live-action sportsmaster, it's a treat that I never expected to see. For the first time in one of these shows, I really care about the life challenges these characters face. Most of the show focuses on a group of high school kids that Courtney ends up gathering together to become friends and the new version of the JSA. It's a fair amount of outcasts and the show really has a nice way of blending the coming of age story with the family drama. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, Marvel's Runaways, which was on Hulu, and now it's on Disney+. Plus. But I also like how they find a way to make some of its more ridiculous villains not seem... So silly. I mean, there are a bunch of community members and adults who want to make this community this way that they perceive it should be. And the action and fight scenes are great, as we'd expect at this point from a CW superhero show. But the one thing that this show does so well is even after only one season, the characters are all very well developed and everyone feels unique. Even though the show and setting are not dark it has its moments of darkness even more than supergirl and flash the hope though is still there the optimism in the show feels a bit more genuine maybe maybe it's just that the flash and supergirl have had more uneven stories in their later seasons for the flash and a fair amount for supergirl as a whole but if there's one show especially a new show that i highly recommend and can't take and i can't talk enough praise on this show it's it's sargirl It really surprised me with the heart and fun setting and the emotional resonance we all need sometimes. Hopefully, once this show finds its place, the powers that be will add it officially to the Arrowverse. So we're talking some crossovers here folks, one of the best things the Arrowverse does. Like the animated Justice League show before it, it found a way to bring a ton of characters together and tell fun stories and make everything feel a bit more connected, like a true shared universe of characters. Some of these have been smaller in scale, like the first one was just introducing the Flash and Arrow teams to one another, but it did give us a very quick and great portrayal of Captain Boomerang by Spartacus alum Nick Terabay. There was some jumping off points for other shows, like Heroes Joined Forces bringing us into the start of Conflict and Soft tease to Legends of Tomorrow. There are also a few really fun ones showing off Glee alums, Melissa Benoist, Supergirl, and Grant Gustin from The Flash. And the first one is nothing crazy, but just a fun time. The second, however, titled Duet, is something special to behold. It brings these two characters together with John Barrowman, Victor Garber, Jeremy Jordan, among others who all have the singing chops to make this really nice, fun, heartfelt, and unique musical crossover. But these were small in comparison to The Big Four, Invasion, Crisis on Earth X, Elseworlds and most recently Crisis on Infinite Earths so Invasion kicked off and while there was nothing inherently wrong with it at the time looking back at what has come after it's never great to have any of these CW shows be overly reliant on CGI. I know you're hearing that a lot but it's fact and the villain in these is just a bunch of CGI baddies Not the best. But it brought the three shows together, plus the character of Supergirl to have a fun time that highlighted the characters the best they could. The Supergirl show did not get the full love of the others, but it was a fun time. And there was a Supergirl episode that kind of predicated this and brought her into the Invasion storyline. The best, however, in this grouping of episodes was the Arrow episode, also the show's 100th episode, that found a lot of great ways to bring back characters from the past. No Deathstroke, the best thing about Arrow, but a lot of good throwbacks to deceased characters, and a way to celebrate the network's first superhero darling of the Arrowverse. The next big crossover, Crisis on Earth-X, is not only a fun setup of Nazi doppelgangers on a parallel universe, but having characters have to fight each other and making a fair amount of characters have to muscle their acting chops to be two versions of the same character, it can really be appreciated for what it is. There is so much good here. They find a way to fully incorporate Supergirl, the entire show as well. They have a live action version of the Ray, who had a spin-off animated show similar to what they did with Vixen, a new version of Wentworth Miller's Captain Cold having a superhero wedding crash and making Kara a focal point of the conflict. The narrative and just the almost goal of the villains was to get her. I just think the whole setup was so amazing and having more of our OG reverse Flash being embedded in the Reich... We always like to see where he ends up and what new hell he's causing on this superhero world and worlds. Lastly, one of the sadder parts of this specific special was the death of Martin Stein having ramifications that would impact the series down the road in a crossover that never really happened until now. And what an emotional hit it was. Also, we got Colin Donald back in the real crossover fun way, a little more involved than in Invasion prior. So Elseworlds was fine a bit cluttered a way to introduce us to Batwoman and Gotham which is great but a lot happened a lot of characters are crammed in and new characters were not fully developed some storylines never really finished and really it was the equivalent sometimes of Captain America Civil War and no disrespect to that movie I love that movie but some call it Avengers 2.5 and this really felt like a setup crossover for The big one, Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's not all bad. The Flash and Arrow as each other's storyline, it's fun. We get Superman back, Black Suit Superman, which we still haven't officially got yet in the DCEU. We hadn't seen him in ages up to this point, though. And we get an introduction to our big bad, kind of big bad in the monitor-anti-monitor conflict. They try to throw some Batman stuff in here but like Batwoman itself there's only so much you can hint at in reference especially when Arrow has already taken a lot of those characters as part of its story. The Trigger Twins outfits is a fun little deep dive to DC Comics and they're pretty good at throwing in little nods on their CW shows as a whole and seeing Eobard Thawne and Malcolm Merlin again always fun but we take out all the Legends of Tomorrow for this one. But for me, that being one of my favorite Arrowverse shows, bad choice. I know you can't have it all. Well, Infinite Earths pretty much did. But taking out this crew was not a good time for me. So the gold standard for these that will probably never be topped is Crisis on Infinite Earths. They had cameos galore and focused on their five main shows, and like Supergirl before with Invasion, they had an isolated episode of Black Lightning that tied into the plot and included the main character in their crossover. So why was this so good? Because it captured things from every era. We had Robert Wool from the late 80s Batman, Burt Ward from the 60s Batman, characters from Titans, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, a soft tease for Stargirl for the new show, Tom Welling from Smallville, you know, Somebody save me! Kevin Conroy has a live-action Batman. The amazing voice actor from the 1990s animated series. Ashley Scott from the OG version of Birds of Prey. Tom Ellis from as Lucifer Morningstar, and a fair amount of just Arrowverse players that we've seen a few times, like Jonah Hex, and another version of Captain Cold. Some of these were just cameos, some had full talking scenes, like Tom Welling and Tom Ellis. There were so many versions of characters too, they found a way to get Brandon Roth's of his Arrowverse role, and his Superman role. Having John Cryer as Lex Luthor as a big part of this was great, and it shaped his usage in the following season of Supergirl. They found a way to write Arrow out, and using the Spectre thing was a bit weird at times. Other than that the special really did some amazing things including resurrecting including restructuring the multiverse and now we just have to wait and see when stargirl will join now that black Lightning's a part of this world the real stakes also make the story having kind of like martin stein's death oliver's death shook the whole arrowverse and a few times since he has had that iron man like impact on this universe and lastly having a dc eu version of the flash played by ezra miller meeting this universe's flash really does make it feel like anything is possible with dc films and tv properties especially with the dc fandom announcement with everything being connected in a multiverse which the cw flash has already played with so superman and lois is the latest show the Arrowverse family it's set to premiere in January 2021 so what do we know so far Tyler Hawkland and Elizabeth Tulloch are both reprising their roles Superman has already been around Supergirl a fair amount and you gotta imagine there will be a soft tease of this show during that final season of Supergirl there's one same thing having Morgan Edge who was initially played by Heroes alum Adrian Pazder apparently this is being recast hate 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 that but it's what it is this will be a family story with the characters in smallville you know somebody save me not that smallville but this will be another family of soups story with a villain tempting superman to come out of retirement not sure what this is going to look like but i'm curious as with all the new cw superhero shows i just don't feel like i'm dying for this story but i'll at least give it a go I'll, i'll take a peek and hope for the best So, what's the future hold for the Arrowverse? What's going on now? What do we have to look forward to here? Well, besides the new Superman show superman and lois which we just talked about the flash will be kicking off with season seven and it will somehow incorporate those story beats from season six that was ended a bit abruptly to fill in that cliffhanger with our big bad portrayed by heroes alum Cento rama seeing grant gustin news confirms at least plans for two more seasons with his contract negotiations keeping the show as the main staple of the Arrowverse. Supergirl will be wrapping up its sixth and final season. Seemingly this has been known as the cast does not seem too disheartened by the news and the show will have a complete full ending which is always important. Many are predicting Kara and mon portrayed by real-life husband Chris Wood will go off to the future and send them off with the Legion but that will keep them available for other Arrowverse projects. One of my favorite returning shows, Legends of Tomorrow, will be back for a sixth season that will hopefully quickly tackle the massive cliffhanger about finding their captain, Sarah Lance. There's no word past this, but I feel like this show will always have the most legs once they start including characters from the newer shows like Black Lightning, Stargirl, Supergirl, maybe Swamp Thing. Batwoman feels like it has a fair amount of promise with a new lead cast. The assumption is there's no reason for the show to be done after season two. I am hoping that season two of Stargirl will be the continuation of many seasons and hopefully this show can be a part of the crossovers of the future, even though it has already been stated that this season's crossover will be much smaller in scale and will be fairly between Superman and Lois and Batwoman, but feature characters from the other shows, because of course. There has been no word on the Green Arrow and Canary spin-off sequel. But with all the teasing they did during the last season of Arrow, you'd be surprised, it would be a shame to not see something come of it. So there's some legacy shows I want to briefly discuss. Swamp Thing and Constantine are two shows that have some ties to the CW. Everything is connected after Crisis, but having John Constantine on Arrow and be a major staple of Legends of Tomorrow, Swamp Thing will now be airing on the CW. People are hoping it will receive a surprise renewal of some capacity on this network, even if special effects aren't going to be as strong. I don't think it's likely, but I'd be down for it. It's a great show now for something a bit spookier, so it's great for Halloween watching. Actually, both these shows are, since Constantine can be very dark at times. I say it a lot, especially this episode. Matt Ryan is a blessing to the genre, network, and... And this role i love keanu reeves as an actor but matt ryan crushed this role and is the quintessential john constantine and nobody will ever change my mind on that i know we've talked about both these shows previously on our one hit wonders episode which if you have not listened to it yet it's something you will want to do it'll be good for you during these crazy times of what to watch now eight months or so into quarantine life I want to mention them since they are both available to watch in some capacity on this network. But I also want to say I will not be including either of these shows on my definitive rankings list. It does not feel right since they were not made by the CW. But if I did, there'd be some big changes to this list. That's for sure. But let's get to this list. It's been a long time since we've done a list. But this is me ranking our top CW superhero shows. And since I worded it like that, yes, I can and am going to include Stargirl, obviously. You might have guessed, coming in at number 7, is Batwoman. I like the darkness show, I like Ruby Rose in the portrayal, I like it overall, but it's clearly the weakest of it, and there's no comparison to the rest of the shows. For now, it's still early, hope it gets better. Coming at number 6 is Supergirl, and it may not be a surprise, it's the most inconsistent for me. I love the Agent Liberty season, I like a lot of aspects in season 1, but I can never get that consistent feel for it. It's tough, I want to like Supergirl more, I just can't, sorry. Number 5, this is probably the most controversial of the list, I'm putting The Flash at number 5. What? What? Nick, that's the staple of the Arrowverse other than Arrow. I know it is. But same issue with Supergirl. I love Grant Gustin. I love season one. There's some elements in the other seasons that are good. But it's just too inconsistent. And it's too goofy sometimes. I don't know why it has to be so goofy. It makes no sense to me. But it's a good show. I Most of these shows on this list are good. Batwoman, the jury's not yet out yet. But I would think the other shows all have some merit that you can hang your hat on and watch. Number four, Black Lightning. Look, it's a great show. I love Black Lightning. I think I love the music they have. I love Cress Williams. There's so many elements to Black Lightning that are good. And I think they do a great job with their recurring villain better than anything else. I think at times the season three with the war thing, it just bogged me down because I really liked the conflict in season one and most of season two, but great show. Just season three was a little too inconsistent for me. Alright, folks, here it is, the top three. We're putting Stargirl at three. Is it only one season? Yes. That might be to its benefit. But as I said, it's so fun. It's so heartwarming. It has the best balance of making me care for the non-action, not as dark elements. It's just a fun, heartwarming superhero show, and I love it. Stargirl's so good. I hope years of Stargirl come, and I hope they can be as consistently good as season one. Coming at number two, if we were talking about a few earlier seasons, this might be number one. But right now, it's a two Legends of Tomorrow time traveling fun throwing a bunch of well-developed characters into a show after they're developed is the way to do it. It took Avengers a ton of movies to get to that first Avengers and even more to get to the massive crossovers that we saw in Infinity War and Endgame. This show it take a couple seasons to get our crew built up oh you knew who they were already it you knew these casted characters it felt like the biggest ensemble show we had and it still is i love legends of tomorrow it's weird it's dark i love the adventure stuff the time traveling time period stuff is great for me but it's just a little too goofy at times you probably could have guessed it coming in at number one it's arrow was some of the villains just a little too similar Yes, that being said, dark depressing Nick here, I'm always gonna pick the dark and depressing show. Did the romance come in a little bit to take away from that? Yes, the relationship drama, a little blah sometimes. But I loved the action, I loved the darkness. look, it was TV Batman at a time when we never were gonna get it. I have yet to fully do a rewatch of Arrow since the show had ended. I'm gonna do it one day, haven't done it yet. But if you're gonna pick the best of this, they really did do the best when they first started. Just my opinion. Well folks, we are making history. Our 10th episode in the books. Check that Buzzsprout achievement. Next week, we'll be getting back into the holiday mood, but taking a journey back to Camp Crystal Lake. Ooh, and taking on the entire Friday the 13th franchise. Frightening, I know. But I'll leave you with a little festive treat, a little festive fun. I did tell you guys, I would watch Hubie Halloween last week, and I did the day it came out on Netflix. Is it good? Not even. I love Steve Buscemi. And there's a ton of fun celebrities. Adam Sandler is his fun, dumb, lovable self in this. I love what they do with the thermos being like a Swiss army knife. It's a dumb movie. No question about it. But it's festive fun. You will never need to watch this movie more than once. It's probably not going to be yearly viewing like Hocus Pocus. Like Nightmare Before Christmas. Like only the one and two of Halloween Town. Remember we said, skip the fourth one. Third, maybe. Fourth, absolutely not. But if you're looking for something you can turn your brain off and just get into the spirit here you go also the throwing things at him gag and everyone dressing up as Harley Quinn are both very funny but if we're talking quality I think at best it's a four out of 10 which is what I have it at letterbox Nick what's letterbox well I'll tell you if you want to see what I'm watching or up to movie wise you should absolutely check it out there letterbox.com it's an awesome film social media network that you should check out you can find me there and on all social media platforms either knickknack IC or knickknack movies and to listening we are available on a ton of platforms including apple spotify amazon and many many more tell your friends rate us five stars and rate us a super cool review i would just love that and finally thank you to our host buzzsprout and as always until next time cinephiles are you not entertained i think this is gonna be the beginning of a beautiful friendship i don't like goodbyes let's just call this see you later alligator